0: Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au take you on the next step. Because as I began to think about this over the last several weeks, I realized that God's got more in store for me than simply to get me back to square one. Some of you over the last couple of years, no doubt, have felt like your tank got so empty there was really... It's just dry in there. There's nothing left. And so then you come into a place where God starts to speak to you again and starts to refill your tank. Encouragement comes. And that can be either from the preaching or from a worship song or it can be somebody you're in conversation with or as it so often happens for me, reading the Word of God. Like I read this morning, my first job every morning, first thing I do is get out of bed and, and uh, go into my study And then I open up the Word of God. I started a program 11 years ago of reading the Bible through every day and journaling it. Uh, Reading the Bible through in a year, that is. And uh, I found that to be one of the greatest blessings of my life. I would encourage you to be a Christian that reads this book. Uh, It's great to read the newspaper or your magazines or hear the opinions of others, track people on your social media stuff but so often we are getting 90% of our information's coming from the world and a very small part of it is coming out of the word of god and so i want to encourage you to be somebody that's not a super christian who does that that's an ordinary christian who does that that's not somebody who's kind of you know the olympic athlete in the spirit And, and, you know, people get hung up on how long and how far and how much. And, Pastor, do I have to read the Bible through in a year like you do? No, I'd be happy if you read three verses every day. Just get some of it into your life. And uh, when your tank starts to get refilled, you start to feel better. You start to be better. You start to love people better. You start to do life better. And it's very easy to think, well, that's it. Now I've got there. Now I've arrived at that. But I want to ask you, does God have more for you than just getting back to healthy thinking and a healthy life? Is it more than just getting back to square one? Let's go to Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. That's what we've been speaking about the last two weeks. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. So I'm restored and then leading comes. So many times when we're in the empty space, we're asking God for direction and for leading, but you get restored before leading comes. He restores me, then leading comes. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. I'll come back to that a little bit later on. Verse 4 then makes a drastic turn. And you know, I want to give you an entirely different look at this psalm in a, a, a few minutes. Something that might make you think about the order that these verses come in. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. makes me lie down in green pastures, you know, leads me beside the still waters, leads me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes after we've been restored and leading comes, we begin to encounter difficulty. In the month of August, I'm going to be preaching a series on the church. And I think so many in the, uh, the era we live in, We've missed a whole lot of great stuff about what the church actually is. We think of the church as a place, or we think of the church as people that we like connecting with, But I believe that spiritually, the church is far more than all of those things. As great as all of that is, and I enjoy all of that as much as anyone does. But there's more to it than that. And so after I'm restored and He begins to lead me, sometimes the next thing you encounter is not blessing after blessing and more good things. Sometimes you go into a place of battle Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, the word of God, they comfort me. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So the battle now becomes the victory. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You wouldn't be sitting down to a table in front of your enemies if they're about to kill you. You're sitting down to a table in front of your enemies because you've won. You prepare a table before me. I'm restored, leading comes, opposition, difficulty can arise. But if I will keep on going, I end up at a table where my enemies are subdued and you anoint my head with oil. Listen to me, the purpose of every battle is that you will come out of it with a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of every battle is that you will come out of it with a greater understanding and a greater revelation of who God is. It's Listen, the purpose of battles, I don't care what the world says about them or that the fact that the devil wants to bring them to your life, but God's purpose in these things is that I come out of it, my head, my mind, with a greater strength, with a greater understanding, with a greater revelation of who God is. If you come out of it and all you've got is just a surviving T-shirt, then you've missed something in the battle. Maybe what you need to do is go back and revisit it and start to say, Lord, when I was in that valley, you were with me, but I didn't see you. Show me where you were in the middle of that. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy. I love this. This is the part. Everyone loves the cup running over the abundance. I love this part. Surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. They're no longer way up ahead. They're no longer something I hope for and just dream about. But now they follow me. I'm so far ahead in the will of God that goodness and mercy are running to catch up to me. Now that is something to get excited about. Thou will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Now you've got to remember to the psalmist who wrote this, dwelling in the house of the Lord was not going to church. This is the same man who when he brought up the Ark of the Covenant, when he brought up that which represented the manifest, very tangible presence of God, if you go back and read it, when he brought it up from the house of Obed Edom, he literally danced the entire way back to Jerusalem. And not only did he dance all the way back, but he stopped every 10 steps and offered sacrifice. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Up everybody and they began to offer sacrifices. do you know how long that journey took for this man dwelling in the house of the Lord forever was not some kind of I went there and I waved at a couple of friends and we had a you know a bit of a chat. For him, this was encountering the holy, magnificent God who could give victory over any obstacle, over anyone. He knew what it was like to fight the giant Goliath. He knew what it was like to get victory against impossible odds. But he also knew what it was like to be sustained by God when he was being hunted by Saul. This man understands. So for him, dwelling in the house of the Lord is a huge Oh, what a a massive. He's literally saying, you know what? God and I are going to be inseparable for the rest of our life. And I want you to notice again the order. Verse 1 to 3 are about restoration and repair and refilling. And then because of that, that's why last two weeks, if you weren't here or you haven't been a part of those services yet, go to Metro Church WA on YouTube. They all stay up there. And you can go back and revisit them. I speak to some people in this church. Thank God for online. They say, Pastor, I come to church. But then I go and I'm a part of them again on YouTube. One guy told me four times at least every week. And I go, that's fantastic. You're letting it soak into your life. That's a brilliant thing to do. So that when that refreshing and refilling takes place, And verse 4 arrives because they are now refilled. Because of that, they're able to continue and endure through the verse 4, which is the valley of the shadow of death. And that is why they're then able to go on to verse 5 and 6 and to enjoy the spread table and the subdued enemies, the strong anointing and the great future. He restores my soul so that, listen, so that difficulty doesn't destroy me. He restores my soul so that opportunities can be seized. The third epistle of John, verse 2. Some of you will have heard this. It's one that speaks about opportunity and how it's connected to restoration. 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you will prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. In other words, God says, I'm gonna prosper your soul. I'm gonna build you up and make you strong so that then will come the blessing and the overflow in your life. Because the reality is a weak soul cannot retain blessing. I'll say that again. A weakened soul, a depleted soul. You know what it's like if you're absolutely exhausted and then someone asks you to go and run a marathon, you'd go, I can't. Why? I'm so depleted. I'm so exhausted. That's why when, if I ever get to that place, and trust me, I've been there more often than I'd like, but if I get there, I don't immediately start going, whipping myself and saying, come on, get up. I start to say, God, will You restore my soul? God, will You start to fill me up? Because I know that if I let God do that in my life, then according to 3 John 2, I'll begin to prosper in accordance with the prosperity of my soul. And when it comes to difficulty, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14 says this, The spirit of a man or a woman will sustain them in sickness or infirmity, but who can bear a broken spirit? In other words, if my soul, my inner life is whole and well, then whatever obstacles come my way, I will go through them better than I'd ever be able to go through them if I was depleted and broken in my life. So God wants to restore our souls. And I just want to take you on a quick journey this morning about what that actually looks like. What's God's focus? I'm just going to give you three things today that I believe God starts to restore in my life. He restoreth my soul. That's verse three. He restoreth my soul. Why? Because there's a verse four, not that I have to go through, but that He wants to take me through there's a verse four that He wants to take me through because on the other side of my verse four is a verse five. And on the other end of verse five is a verse six where I dwell with Him in the house of the Lord forever. So I'm not afraid of verse four if I've done verse three. Is this making sense to anyone here? If I've done verse three, and I'm not saying it all happens in one moment. Oh, I wish it did. I wish you just came out and an altar call and, and there it was. And woo-hoo! And up you're getting, you're different all over again. But as we've said over the last couple of weeks, the number one thing, first thing was pace because it's a journey. Amen. So what does God want to restore in your life? And I realise I'm preaching this in the environment of 2022 When the whole of the world seems to me to be coming up with one thing after another that is designed to just knock you to the ground and punch you while you're down. Amen. Uh, You know, if it's not uh, COVID and the war and monkeypox and now it's foot and mouth. Well, personally, I've had foot in in my mouth many a time, but I I think they're talking about something vastly different and very serious, by the way. But anyway, uh, Uh, You know, it seems to me in that kind of environment, these things become more important. And dare I say it, you've got to be a bit more intentional about them. The first thing I believe that God restores to our life is hope. Hope. Now, I've got to stop here and say this because hope, when you say that to a lot of people, they think, oh, I hope so. But hope in the Bible is never, and I hope so. Hope in the Bible, everywhere that I've discovered it, is a positive outlook that can endure. Romans 15, verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the Holy Spirit. Hear that? Now may the God of hope. It's part of His nature. When you receive Christ, hope comes into your life. Oh, I wish I had the time today to preach on the three rests of God. But I'll have to save that for another time. The rest of creation, the rest of the cross, and then the rest of eternity. And all I know is this, that believers are meant to enter into all three of those rests. And you and I are called by God. He's the God of hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you, not give you a touch or a a dab of, but fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound. Abound means you've got more than enough. Abound means there's an overflowing. You're not only hopeful, you've got enough to take it to your workplace. You've got enough to take it into your home. You've got enough to take it wherever you're going to go because hope is a positive outlook that can endure. Now, The word hope, believe it or not, appears 23 times in the book of Psalms. That's more than any other book in the Bible. And the reason I believe for that, I can't declare it to be exactly accurate, but it's what I think, is because the book of Psalms is the book of human experience walking with God. Many of us love the Psalms because they're so authentic. Because the psalmists, and there's a variety of them, they're not all David. But the psalmists don't hide their emotions. They don't hide their despair. They don't hide their struggles. They don't hide their loneliness. They don't hide their disappointment. They don't hide their feelings of being let down by people that they relied on. And we love that about the Psalms. And that's why I believe hope is there because God's response to emptiness and God's response to the, to the a depleted state of life is first of all, I'm going to restore hope to your life. I'm going to bring you hope. I believe that hope is a muscle that grows stronger the more it gets exercised. Seriously. The more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. If you want to be a bodybuilder, your muscles might be fairly scrawny. But I tell you what, the more you exercise. John, who was up here on the drums this morning, said to us when Michael Battersby began to show us his guns, as we call them. That's his wife laughing up there. Thank you, Linda. But he began to do it. And John said, you know that there are three muscles in the back of your arm. And Michael said, that's why they're called triceps. And John just kept rolling past that. He goes, yeah, but there are three. And Michael said, yeah, they're triceps. And John said, yeah, I know that, but I'm telling the story. Well done, John. But, you know, and and John said this, "I, I know I look like I'm a gym junkie. Thank you, Linda, for laughing. At least you laughed at your own husband louder than me. That's good. I like that. Think about it, man. John said, you know, there are certain exercises for each one of those muscles. Some people have got big muscles of cynicism because that's the one they exercise the most. Some people have got a big muscle of self-pity because every day they go to the self-pity gym and work out. My life sucks. It sucked yesterday. It sucked the day before. It still sucks. And they're there bench pressing self-pity. Some people are just there like, hello, they, they get the gold medal at the Self-Pity Olympics. Amen. Well, you're never going to get big muscles by just staying at home in front of the television. I think you've got to go and exercise the ones that they tell me if you do go to the gym, they'll ask you, first of all, what do you want to achieve? What do you want to work on? Huh? And, and if it's the arm muscles, they'll give you a certain set of exercises. How many of us are exercising hope daily? How many of us on a daily basis are looking at our problems, looking at our circumstances and saying, but I'm going to hope in God? Psalm 42 verse 5, the psalmist did this. He said, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. For I will yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. He's bench pressing hope. He said, why are you still cast down? He said, what's the matter with you? He's talking to himself. Now don't do this as you're walking down. Well, actually you can nowadays because people got headphones in. And uh, I walked past some of the other day. I thought they were chatting to me. So I turned to say hello and then saw the little white things in their ears and realised they weren't speaking to me at all. Uh, So you probably can just walk down the street going, I'll hope thou in God. I will yet praise Him who is the light of my countenance. And they'll just think you're having a conversation with somebody. It's awesome. Why are you cast down? He's exercising hope in his life. Matter of fact, sometimes I literally do this. Sometimes I'll get an entire psalm and just read it before the Lord. I've done this many a time. I will pray that psalm as though it's me talking. I've done that with a whole of Psalm 42. There's quite a bunch of verses. And begin to declare that because I know the Word of God always, listen to me, the Word of God will always take you to hope. The Word of God won't take you to condemnation. The Word of God won't take you to despair. Listen, as long as I've been around and reading this book, it always takes me to hope. No matter whether the struggles are my personal ones, my failures, my mistakes, my missteps, this Word takes me to hope. Or whether it's circumstances out there and I go, God, I cannot see any way that's going to change. But the Word of God, when I read it, will take me through to hope. Amen. The second thing that He wants to restore in your life is He restores faith. So He restores hope, then He restores faith. Now, Bible faith is not believing in something. Bible faith is really a willingness to hear and to obey. So Abram leaves his place of upbringing, his comfort and his security, and he goes out looking for the place where God is leading him, to become a blessing across the entire earth. Noah, well let's have a look Hebrews 11 verse 7 says it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith Noah condemned the rest of the world. They didn't believe and so they never got in the boat and he received the righteousness That comes by faith. So faith is not a feeling that I generate. Faith isn't how close I feel to God. Faith is a willingness to hear and then to obey. Noah builds an ark when no one in his world had ever seen rain before. And why are you doing that? Because God said. That's why. Faith leans in to hear. And we lean in because we know that He's got a plan for our life that's greater than our past or our present. It's greater than our gifts or our talents. It's greater than any of the resources that we have in life. The reality is, if you can hear it, is that faith in the Word of God will see a different you to the one that everyone else sees and you feel. Because I've yet to meet a human. Yet who doesn't have a gap between how they feel about themselves and what God says about them. Amen. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Yet most of us don't feel like that. Most of the time, we feel like more than conquered. He says, I've made you the head and not the tail. Most of us feel like we're somewhere down the belly. Some of us feel like we definitely are the tail, down the smelly parts. Faith sees a different you, but faith is not a feeling. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight, not by our feelings. So He restores hope. Then He begins to restore faith. I, I have been preaching faith for I don't know how many decades, but it's a lot. And there's still a part of faith because we, we trip into formula and we trip into a ritual. And we trip into methods, but faith's none of those things. It can come through them. And I'd encourage you to start with them, but faith is a thing of the spirit. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The list of heroes in Hebrews 11, all the people that operated by faith, they never did it because they had a mental positive picture. You don't build an ark because you've had a good idea. You build one because you've heard something from God that is inescapable. And I don't know how, I wish I was a person and I pray that before I, well, before I die, I know I'll keep growing in faith. As I keep investing in the Word of God and keep bringing it before God. I cannot tell you the number of times I've come to God in prayer and I was Jeff, the human being, frail and weak and in need. And I walk out of there with a totally different perspective. I walk out of that place, not because praying makes me feel better, but because while I'm praying, the Holy Spirit just ignites something in the Word of God. And I go out of there and go, oh, yes, that's powerful. And I want encourage you not just to be a Christian that comes to church, not just to be a Christian that lifts your hands in worship, but to be someone who goes, God, will you take me from faith to faith? The righteousness, which is of faith, takes us from one level of faith to another one. Everybody here, no matter who you are, our faith can grow. The things you can't believe for right now, maybe you can if you'll keep on walking with God. Amen. I'll just throw that in for you to think about. He restores hope. He restores faith. The third thing is that He restores a generous spirit. Now, generosity, again, like every one of these things, hope is not, I hope so. Faith is not believing in something. But generosity is not either just what you do with your finance. Proverbs 22 verse 9 tells me what generosity really is in the eyes of God. It says this, He or she that has a generous eye, Will be blessed. They give of their bread to the poor. In other words, it's not about how much I have in my wallet. It's not about the size of my bank account. It's not about did I get the promotion or not. But a generous eye is the way you see the things around about you. A person with a generous eye sees opportunity when other people see, man, it's tough right now. The person with a generous eye sees enlargement coming to their life when everybody else is battening down the hatches. The person with a generous eye sees fruitfulness even when it appears that it's against the season that they're in at that moment. The person with a generous eye sees help coming to their life. And so Psalm 23 and verse 4, he goes from the valley of the shadow of death. And if you read Psalm 23 carefully, It doesn't say that He goes from the valley of the shadow of death and walks up to the table. It says that you prepare a table before Me. So He's seeing this while He's in the valley of the shadow of death. So He's in an ugly place. He's in a difficult place. But when He, the person who's got a restored, generous spirit, looks up, He says, I see a table. I see greater anointing. I see subdued enemies. I see the closeness of God. He says, I see all of that up ahead for me. And so he starts going, listen to me, he starts going towards what he sees. And you will always go towards what you see. If you see a defeated, uh, unwanted, unloved uh, person, if that's what you see about you, you will go towards it and you'll find it in every relationship that you're in. You'll find it in every place you go. And I've met people like that. And the answer is not for them to get a better place. The answer is to change what they see. Psalm 18 and verse 19, listen to what the psalmist said. And again, if you read all of Psalm uh, 18, and I have, it's a, a fairly long psalm. But it, it begins to tell us, uh, this guy starts off in difficulty. He says, he brought me out into a broad place or a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. He says, God, I know where I am now, but I see that you are going to take me to a large place. And yet, at the beginning of this psalm, he's writing this when the Lord delivered him out of the hand of Saul. That's the beginning of Psalm 18. The beginning of Psalm 18 is that Saul, the king with all the power and all the army, has hunted him and finally uh, he's, he's hid in a cave and there's no escape. And that's where this psalm gets written. And then he says, God, you brought me out of that into a broad place. Amen. God can turn around your situation. God can help. I'm going to come back now as a finish back to that thing there in in verse 3 of Psalm 23, he leads, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I want to tell you in concluding why I believe God wants to restore your soul. Number one, he wants to do it for his name's sake because you're his, because you're one of his kids, because he delights in you, because he loves you, because you represent him. He's going to go to battle for you. Amen. You know, if this was one of my kids and they were. Someone was attacking them or threatening them. You know, I would just step right into the middle. I'll never forget my son when we used to play basketball together. Um, I'd fouled this guy um, in the game. I fouled him deliberately, which I paid the penalty for, which was two shots to the other guy. And but he was mouthing off like you know he was going to take this old guy and do all this stuff, but he didn't know that my son was there. And my son walked up to this guy on the free throw line and he just looked at him and the guy was bigger than him and he said, what did you say you're going to do to my dad? And he said it with such a tone that the guys went, oh, and then began to shake and missed both free throws. And, oh. I'm not sure I should have told you that story. I'm, it's not exactly putting me in a good light, is it? But, but you, get my, you get my drift. Now think about it a minute. You're God's child. And when someone threatens you, don't you think he wants to step in for his namesake? Don't you think he goes, how dare you? How dare you touch the apple of my eye? How dare you begin to afflict my children? He says, I'm going to step in. The second reason he does it is for my sake. He does it for his sake, and then he does it for my sake because I need it. Amen. And the third reason he does it is he does it for others' sake. Because you know, much as God wants to get you to heaven, there's nothing you can do for earth once you get there. Amen. Your testimony only has got value, really, down here. Over there, it's not going to help. Amen. You'll already be there. You'll see Jesus. You'll be gathered around the throne. All the things you've imagined. I reckon most of us are going to get there and go, wow, we're speechless for the first millennium. Because all of a sudden, eternity that we tried to imagine and harps and clouds and we'll go, it's nothing like that at all. And it's another realm entirely and it's amazing. And we'll get there like that. But you won't be able to help another person on the earth. Maybe your legacy will will carry some weight. But all I know is He wants to do it for others' sake. Because right now He needs you and I to be people that walk through the valley of the shadow of death, our eyes on verse 5 and 6. Because once we get there, in, in, in Hebrew culture, they never had a table like that and sat down by themselves. In Hebrew culture, if you, in Israel's culture, if you spread a table, you brought all your family, you brought all your friends. And if you still had more food, you'd invite people you'd barely knew. And if you still had more room, according to what Jesus told in that great parable of the great wedding feast, He said, go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. For His sake, for your sake, for others' sake. Amen. Father, help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, to take a hold of Your restoration process in our life. God, I pray for everyone. praying for myself, Lord, that none of us will stumble and give up or accept second best. We don't want to head back out of the valley of the shadow of death, back to verse one and two and three. We want to go on from there to five and six. There's something greater up ahead than there ever was behind us as good as verse one, two and three were. Father, I pray You will help each one of us today in Jesus' Name. Would You restore us? If you need that today, I'm not going to embarrass you, but just want you to, oh, I'm not even going to look. I don't need to. You can lift your hand towards God and say, God, would You restore me? Maybe you need hope, faith. Maybe it's a generous eye. Maybe that's the thing that God's touching in your life. and saying, come on. Come on, let me do that. Let me restore that. You're, oh God, yeah, but. No, no, no. Start today. Yes, Lord. Start today. Yes. Everything, everything in God starts with yes. Amen. All the promises of God, it says, are yea and amen. In other words, they all start with yes. Father, for every hand that's raised, every person online as well, people that are saying today, God, would You restore my soul? I've lost some hope and I need some pump back in. But I'm going to begin to exercise the muscle. Lord, I need faith. I need some more of that replaced. And God, I'm going to go to Your Word and let it speak to me again. Lord, I need a generous eye. Would You open my eyes to see what lies ahead of me? In Jesus' Name. And Father, I pray for people that are a part of the service, either in front of me live or with us online, either now or later. And they say, well, I've never given Jesus my yes. I'm living my life. I'm trying my best my way. God, I wish I knew. I wish I knew you. Would you help them today, Holy Spirit? I know you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, there's someone on, uh, online with us last week, and I won't say their name, but they were saying in the chat, thank you for Metro Church for this online experience. I don't know why they were online. I had no idea what the circumstance were. But they said, thank you for this. I have been a long way from God. I'm trying to find my way back. Somebody else that was also online re- replied to them and said, I 100% relate. I too was a long way from God and the people from this church helped me. But I couldn't help but think In that chat space, and I didn't have time to, at that moment of the service, to be able to enter into a discussion. But I thought, I hope they get the understanding that you don't kind of have to go on a big long journey to find God, but you just begin with a yes. Every promise of God starts with a yes. And you can give your yes to Jesus today, and you could walk forward in a service, and someone could lay hands on you, and that would be wonderful. Or you could just simply text yes to the number that's up there on the screen, 488 if you're in Australia. Or you could get it via email if you go to yes.metrochurch.org.au. If you're on the metrochurch.online platform, the Yes button is there. You just tap on that. And even though that might seem so simple, it'll change your life. You know, I've done hundreds of weddings, And every marriage starts with just a couple of words. I do. Isn't that funny? How long have you been married, John and Trudy? 52 years. We will get you a gold statue for your 60th. But think about it. How many kids and grandkids? Eight grandchildren and three children. Now think about it a minute. All of that. Started with two little words called I do. John sold his Hillman imp to be able to have an engagement ring for his soon to be bride. Think about it, man. Just start with something small. Don't think that saying yes to Jesus has got to be a, you know, a huge production. It starts with you saying yes to Jesus. Let me pray with you right now, Father. For these people right now with us, either in the building or online, and they are saying right now, Jesus, I want You in my life. I'm sorry that I've led my own life and led it into places it never should have gone. But I'm turning to You and I'm going to ask You to not just save me, but to lead me. I'm going to start following You from this moment on. Father, I thank You for that. And for them in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let's give all those people a big hand. If you're in the building and you've said yes in your heart right then, you can come and talk to someone at the Connect Hub or you can just do one of those three things. And if you do, then the next day after you give us your yes on any one of those spaces, we will send you a Bible verse. We'll send you a prayer, different every day. It goes for 30 days. But uh, Sebastiano and Emmanuel and uh, Rashida, who, by the way, Rhonda's just got online. She's in Brisbane. Good morning, everyone. Just got back from church here in Brisbane. Sebastiano and Rashida and Emmanuel were also there. Uh, I told you we're a mobile church. We're all over the place. And, uh, but Sebastiano told me last week, he said, I can hardly keep up with all the people that are saying yes, that at the end of the 30 days want more. I said, it's it's every day I'm having to go and do all that stuff. He wasn't complaining. It's something to be excited about. We want to help you grow. And I believe God wants you to grow. I believe there's more than just getting you to health. It's about taking you on for His sake, for your sake, for others' sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.